I'm glad you're here today. I sense in my spirit something different that the Spirit of God wants to get across to us today. So I, I want your ears to be open. Did you clean them out last night? This morning? Okay, good, Mike. You're good to go then. But uh, I, just, I just have a sense in, in my heart, and there's some things. In fact, I had a message, but I can't do that message till I believe the Spirit of God wants me to preface with, with the message today, what I, what I give you. So, um, let's pray, and then, and then Abe's going to share some things. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity and privilege to come together as a body. And we acknowledge your presence, Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, to move in our midst, open our eyes to see, and teach us, Holy Spirit, what we do not see. We thank you for your goodness and mercy manifest this day. We thank you, Father, for that corporate anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, I'm only going to share for a couple minutes. And uh, Pastor Mike said it, but I sensed it this morning in my personal time that today was going to be different. <clears throat> I want to bless you the way that Scott has blessed me the way that Paige has blessed me, the way that Nate and Micah and others have blessed me recently with, with text, <laughs> text and encouraging words. And I want to do that today in, uh, in the short couple minutes that I want to share about worship and the, the importance and the, the vital role that worship has in our lives. And I think many of us are, and I, I say this lovingly, are getting it wrong. There have been Sundays where I've been offended at some of you during worship. That whole series that pastor's been on about being offended. There's been Sundays I've been angry at some of you. Mad. Offended. Because I don't like what you're doing in worship or how you're worshiping. That's not right. <laughs> but I prepare myself... Just as pastor prepares a message, or Pastor Kathy might prepare a teaching, all week long I prepare for myself and for us. Because I have, I have a responsibility and I also have expectations. Because I know what God does in worship. I've seen it, I've experienced it, I've tasted it. And I know what He does for me and what He wants to do for us. Much of today's worship music or Christian music is a deception because it's about us. It's very egocentric. The lyrics are about me. The lyrics are about my problems, my circumstances, my issues. We have been deceived into thinking that's what worship music is. And that is not. That is incorrect. That is improper. And that is out of order. Worship is about Him. It is about who He is. It is about what He wants. This group that I want to introduce to you, because Micah shared it with me last week, and their songs have a depth a richness and an authenticity, an openness, a brokenness. 
but a fresh anointing, a fresh wine. Their name is Mercy Culture Worship. And the songs are about him, about who he is, his goodness, his greatness. Not my chaos, not my problems, but his incredible ability. Their songs have made me cry. Their songs have made me want to fight spiritually. They brought joy and celebration into my personal time. And it's not about mimicking what someone else is doing. Because that's been a lot of what the church has done. I want to mimic Bethel. I want to mimic Hillsong. I want to mimic Brandon Lake. That is not what God wants for us as a church. It's wonderful that that's what he's doing in their lives at their churches. But he wants to birth something new here for you, for me. Not to try to be like somebody else. There are things that can only happen in worship that will not happen anywhere else. It's not because you need to read more scripture, although that's good, or spend more time in prayer, that's great, or meditation, that's fine, or quietness and stillness, that's wonderful. But there are things that we are missing personally and corporately because we're not entering in to worship that is true, that is by the Spirit, unto the Lord. If you turn that up just a little bit, I want to play just a short clip. And then I want us to worship together. If you have, if you felt dry, <laughs> in your personal time, if you feel like when you come on Sundays and you're like, the, the music's okay, it's just alright. I kind of show up when I feel like it. Spend the last 10 minutes on my phone looking at social media. And you wonder why we don't experience that freshness in our corporate worship. Because it's got to happen in our daily lives. If we're going to experience an outbreak of His presence, a revival of the Spirit. It can't be just about the 20 minutes that we have together on Sunday morning and think that that's going to be good enough.
turn it up a little more. Father, we come before you this morning. We come to celebrate you, who you are, what you have done, what you desire, what you want. We come to celebrate you this morning. Father, I thank you that today is a new day. By your spirit, Lord, I thank you that you pour out a fresh anointing, a fresh oil, a new wine. God, I thank you for the joy of the Lord. In this place, in our lives. Father, I thank you for the freedom to celebrate, the freedom to worship, the freedom to praise you in this place. Lord, I thank you for opening up our eyes, for opening up our spiritual understanding, for opening up our hearts. Lord, though we may have missed it in certain areas, you lovingly correct us. Holy Spirit, you draw us unto you this morning. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your power in this place. We come before you, we exalt you, we lift you up. We sing unto you this morning, Lord. We declare who you are in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.
by my spirit everyone in this place must function together as a team for only then will you make your enemy rise up and scream it's time to wake up Harvest Church and do a diligent heart search and know where you fit and function in your gift 
and not allow the enemy to cause you to be distracted and drift. It's time to flow together as one. It's time to lift up my son. It's not about you. It's about Him. So today, listen to the Word of the Lord and apply it to your life. Don't sit there and say to yourself, that's about my mate or my child or my friend or my boss. Examine your own heart and see if you would be in faith. It's not about you. It's about my son. So Harvest Church, it's time to begin to run. Father, we worship you in this place and we consecrate our lives to you and say your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, whatever is out of order, bring it into divine order in this hour. For Father, we desire an outpouring of your power. So seek first my kingdom. Seek first my plan and my purpose and my way and you'll find yourself entering into a new time and a new day great and mighty things are coming so prepare your heart prepare your hearts my word shall not return void or empty, but it will accomplish what I please and it will prosper in the thing that I set it to. Once I have spoken it, once I have declared it, once I have decreed it, it's amen, so be it. So wake up! Wake up! Wake up! The time is now for you've entered in to the most exciting and thrilling time in spiritual history. Don't let the little foxes spoil the vine. It's time, church, to grow up. It's time, church, to listen to your leaders that will help you stay in line and function in your gift. Don't rebel as that one angel did, for you'll find yourself hurting and wanting. Father, we love you. And we do not dis we don't despise prophecy. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us today corporately as a church body. We desire your kingdom. 
we desire to fulfill our spiritual destiny individually and as a church corporately. We want to be used, Lord God, in these last days to glorify Your Son. We want to flow in mighty signs, wonders, and miracles. But there is a price to pay. So discern and recognize the price that must be paid. Sanctification. Holiness. Unity. And united worship. For that will bring in the glory in these last days. But first, there must be order. Order in the court. Order in the court. Order in the court. The supreme court of the universe. Divine order in your homes. Divine order in your personal life. Divine order in your businesses. Divine order in your marriages. Divine order in your conduct. Divine order in your speech. Divine order in your attitude. Divine order in your love walk. cannot do it in the days ahead without you. As a church body, Spirit of Grace, we cannot accomplish what the Father wants us to do without you. So if we've grieved you, and I know we have in times past, please forgive us. And help us flow with you, Holy Spirit, in the days ahead. because there are dead, dying, and hurting people waiting upon us to minister to them the God kind of life. So we consecrate and we do a diligent search of our heart. We examine our own life to see the adjustments that need to be made now not tomorrow, today. 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 We love you, Jesus. And we say not our will, but your will be done. Amen. 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 Well, I just preached my message, so maybe I won't have to. Let's sit down. Praise God. Quick messages. Tuesday night at 6, Patriots United here. Wednesday night, we will not have our regular church service. 
um, but we will have a work night. We'll start it at 7, and it shouldn't take any more than an hour, and we will have, if you want to come and help, we will have something for everyone. So we have just a lot of little things that need to be done, and we'll try to get that taken care of Wednesday night. The following Wednesday night, Ju July 5th, we will not have a service. So this week, work night, following week, no service. Next Sunday is Donut Day. Um, I want to thank you. Last week, we received an offering for uh, Stephen Retold for his mission trip to, I think he's going to Africa this time, um, and for Jesus Day. And you, like always, just gave and blessed us. And so we were able to bless Stephen this week, and we also raised enough for Jesus Day to purchase the t-shirts that we need and to not only do that, God does exceedingly abundantly to purchase the bounce houses. So many times people love to give to missions, and that's a great thing. That is a wonderful thing to give to missions because, like, Stephen's going to go over and souls are going to be saved and people are going to be healed and God will be glorified. But we fail to recognize that Norfolk, Nebraska, northeast Nebraska, is a mission field. Amen. So every time you sow into things like this, you are giving to our mission, the mission that we're called to here. And if you don't think the young generation is a mission field, you are deceived. And we need to reach them. That's one of the purposes of Jesus' day and to just reach the, the younger generation. So if you were not able to give last week, you can still put in your offering today. Just write it under offering, and it will go all towards this same missions offering. Now, last week, before we uh, received the offering, I read you the scripture in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse, starting with verse 6. And so you should know that is the will of God because that's what the word of God says about giving, being cheerful givers because the word of God and the will of God are the same thing. So when you pray, if you pray the word of God, then you know that you're praying the will of God. So this morning, what I want to do is pray the word of God for you, and then we'll receive this morning's tithes and offerings. So if you'd stand, let me pray this for you. Father, your word says that he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So I thank you, Father God, that each one here has given as they purposed in their heart, not grudgingly nor of necessity or compulsion, but they gave cheerfully. And I thank you, Father God, that because of that, you are able to make all grace abound towards this people. Yeah that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for that we may have an abundance for every good work and as, as it is written he's dispersed abroad he's given to the poor his righteousness endures forever so i thank you father that now you who supply seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply the seed that this people has sown and increase the fruits of their righteousness while they are enriched in everything for all liberality that you might be glorified, Father God, in Jesus' name. Ushers, you may go ahead and receive this morning's tithes and offerings.
Amen. I'll have you turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 5 or on your phones, whatever you desire. If you're visiting us for the first time and you feel like you got your toupee blown off, we believe in the move of the Spirit of God. We do not despise prophecy or the gifts of the Spirit. And in these last days, folks, I'll just say, you ain't seen nothing yet. What God wants to do through His body, because every one of us has a gift. And I, I'm, I've always been hungry for the supernatural. I want the supernatural. This is a church that believes in the supernatural. And, and uh, so, if, if you don't understand something, then get a hold of somebody that can help you. And and bring some understanding to you. Because in the last days, folks, we need our spiritual armor intact. And it's going to take spiritual armor to deal with all the darkness and all the deception that's going on around us. It's a spiritual battle. Amen. Praise God. Um, I'm going to do something different. I, I told you that I had a message and we're going to continue along those lines. But before I can do this message, I have to address a subject. But let me read this first. In Second Chronicles chapter 5, this is where David had provided materials to build the temple, and his son Solomon did the job. I think it, I don't know how many years it took them, seven years, I don't remember. And when everything was completed, this is what happened. So I'm going to read to you, and I'm going to take up here in verse 11. It says, And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place. For all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves. Say sanctified. Sanctified just means holiness or growing in holiness. Without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites who were the singers and all those of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun with their sons and their brethren stood at the east end of the altar clothed in white linen having cymbals, stringed instruments, harps. And with them in 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as what? One. To make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets, the cymbals, the instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud. Say cloud. So that the priests were not able to continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. The glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Now, the three things that we're going to touch on here in the days ahead, and I was going to start with sanctification. That's a big word, but it just basically means holiness. Three ingredients are needed for God's glory to manifest. Holiness, unity, and praise. Say it. Holiness, unity, and praise. United praise. And we, we touched on that today as everybody's heart becomes united as one to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? But this is where I changed it and, and we're going to take a little detour here. This message that I'm about to minister in the days ahead on sanctification, unity, and praise will not have the impact 
without addressing the subject of divine order. Things have to be in order. Your house has to be in order. Your marriage has to be in order. Your finances have to be in order. Your personal life has to be in order. And so what I'm going to do is, you know, I, I'm glad that you give me the liberty to do these things, and, but I'm going to read to you. This is a book that was written back, in, I think, in the early 90s. John Bevere is a fine author. He's author of The Bait of Satan, which deals with offense. But today we're dealing with the fear of the Lord. But I want to talk to you about divine order because even before I got this book out of my library, I knew towards the middle of the week I, as I studied this, I just didn't feel like it was time to, to release these three different subjects without talking about divine order. And I began to meditate and pray. And then I remembered this book and it, it addresses divine order. And... Uh, he talks about three examples in the Old Testament um, on the importance of order. And I'll, I'll make this statement. Before there's a manifestation of God's glory, there must be divine order. Before God manifests His glory, there has to be divine order. No order, no glory. And there's some mistakes made in the Old Testament, especially by the children of Israel. Well, it all began in Adam and Eve. They had the glory. But they gave it up, did they not? And as a result, there was judgment. God started it all in the garden with order, glory, but then there came judgment. Then we have the portable temple, and we're going to pick up here, and we'll talk about the tabernacle of His glory, the portable temple, and then go into Solomon's temple. So I want you to listen. I'm going to read this to you. And uh, you might want to take some notes if something jumps out at you. Several hundred years pass, basically, since the Garden of Eden, and God finally finds a friend in Abram. God makes a covenant of promise with Abram and changes his name to Abraham. Through this man's obedience, the promises of God are once again secured for generations to come. Abraham's descendants ended up in Egypt as slaves for more than 400 years. In their hardship, God raises up a prophet and deliverer named Moses. Once the descendants of Abraham are delivered out of bondage, God brings them into the wilderness. It is in the wilderness of Mount Sinai that God outlines His plan to dwell with His people. God tells Moses, I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. Once again, God will walk with man, for this has always been his desire. Yet because of man's fallen state, God cannot dwell within him. So he instructs Moses, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And this sanctuary was called the tabernacle. Before God's glory comes... There first must be divine order. Therefore, God carefully instructs Moses how to build the tabernacle. He's very specific on all points of who it is to build it and who is to serve in it. These instructions are detailed in their materials, measurements, furnishings, and offerings. In fact, the specific instructions fill many chapters in the book of Exodus. 
This man-made sanctuary reflected the heavenly one, and you'll see that in Hebrews 9, verse 23. God warned Moses, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Whose pattern was that? God's. It was of extreme importance that all was done exactly as shown. This would provide the divine order necessary before the king's glory would be manifested in their presence. An offering was received from the congregation that supplied all the materials. I'll skip that. You know all about that. The Lord had told Moses, See, I've called by my name Bezalel of the tribe of Judah. I've filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge in all manner of workmanship. And I indeed have appointed him. As with the tribe of Dan, and I put wisdom in the hearts of all who are gifted artisans, that I may make all that I have commanded you. Notice, he what? Commanded. The Spirit of God, now listen, working through men, joined in harmony with God's Word, would once again bring about divine order, that divine order that was lost in the garden. Then all these skilled men began to work on the tabernacle, and they made all the furnishings. They made all the priestly garments and the anointing oil, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it, as the Lord had commanded, just so they had done it. And Moses blessed them. The blessing comes after you do what God tells you to do. God's instructions were so specific that the tabernacle had to be erected on this exact day. The first day of the first month arrived. Moses and the skilled artisans raised the tabernacle. Then we read, so Moses finished the work. Everything was ready now. Divine order was in place by the Word of God, and a people submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now let me say that again. Don't let that go over your head. Divine order was in place by the Word of God, and a people submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's no different today. We need to be submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Exodus 40, verse 34 and 35. Once divine order was attained, God revealed His glory. Most of us in the church lack an understanding of the glory of the Lord. I've attended many meetings where ministers have declared either out of ignorance or hype, the glory of the Lord is here. Before we proceed further, let's discuss what the glory of the Lord is. First of all, the glory of the Lord is not a cloud. Say it's not a cloud. Some may ask, then why is a cloud mentioned almost every time God's glory is manifested in Scripture? The reason, God hides Himself in the cloud. He's too magnificent for mankind to behold. If the cloud did not screen out his countenance, all around him would be consumed immediately and immediately die. And he, Moses, said, Exodus 33, verse 18, Please show me your glory. But God said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Mortal flesh cannot stand in the presence of the Holy Lord in His glory. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, He who is blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, 
who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Hebrews 12.29 tells us that God is a consuming fire. Did we sing about fire today? The burn away all that needs to go. Now when you think of this, do not consider a wood fire. A consuming fire could not be contained in the confines of your fireplace. God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. This type of fire that burns in your fireplace does not produce perfect light. It contains darkness. It is approachable and you can look at it. So let's move on to a more intense light. Consider the laser beam. It is very focused and intense light, but it is still not perfect light. As bright and powerful as it is, there's darkness in the laser light also. Let's consider the sun. The sun is enormous and unapproachable, bright and powerful, but it still contains darkness within the fire of its light. Paul says to Timothy that his glory is unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. Paul could very easily write this because he experienced a measure of this light on the road to Damascus and he related it this way to King Agrippa. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me. Paul said this light was brighter than the noonday sun. Take a moment and try to look directly at the midday sun. It is difficult to look at the sun unless it is veiled with a cloud. God in His glory exceeds the brilliance manyfold. Paul did not see the Lord's face. He only saw the light emanating from him. For he had to ask, Who are you, Lord? Interesting. He could not see his form or the features of his face. He was so blinded by the light that emanated from his glory, overwhelming even the brightness of the Middle Eastern sun. Perhaps this explains why both the prophets Joel and Isaiah stated that in the last days, when the glory of the Lord is revealed, the sun will be turned into darkness. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine. God's glory will overcome all other light. He's the perfect and all-consuming light. Amen? Are you women cold? This air, turn the air up, would you please? I, I can just tell, I can read it, you're, you're cold. They shall go into the... I want you hot and on fire. (laughs) They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty when He rises to shake the earth mightily. God's glory is so overpowering that when He came before the children of Israel in the midst of the dark cloud at Sinai, the people cried out in terror and drew back. And Moses describes it, The Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness with a cloud voice, with a loud voice. So it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us His glory and His greatness, and we've heard His voice from the midst of the fire. We've seen this day that God speaks with man, yet He still lives. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more. Then we shall die. Deuteronomy 5. Though they saw Him shrouded in the thick darkness of a cloud, it could not hide the brilliance of His glory. So let's ask the question, what is the glory of the Lord? 
What are we all after? What do we want to experience? The glory. In answer, we return to Moses' request on the mountain of God. Moses asked, please show me your glory. The word for glory used by Moses in this instance was kabod. It is defined by Strong's Bible Dictionary as the weight of something, but only figuratively in a good sense. Its definition also speaks of splendor, abundance, and honor. Moses was asking, show me yourself all your splendor, but look carefully at God's response. Exodus 33, verse 19. Then he said, or God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Moses requested all his glory, and God referred to it as all my goodness. The Hebrew word for goodness is T-U-W-B. It means good in the widest sense. In other words, nothing is withheld. Then God says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Before an earthly king enters the throne room, his name is always announced by proclamation. Then he enters in his splendor. The king's greatness is revealed, and in his court there's no mistake as who is the king. If this monarch were on the street of one of the cities of his nation, dressed in ordinary clothes, without any attendance, he might be passed by without even those realizing his actual identity. So in essence, this is exactly what God did for Moses. He is saying, I will proclaim my own name and pass by you in all my splendor. We see then that the glory of the Lord is everything that makes God God. All his characteristics, authority, power, wisdom, Literally, the immeasurable weight and magnitude of God are contained within God's glory. Nothing is hidden and held back. We're told that the glory of the Lord is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. Many have claimed to have seen a vision of Jesus and looked upon His face, and that is very possible. Paul described it, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. His glory is veiled by darkened glass, for no man can look upon His fully and veil glory and live. Someone else may question, but the disciples looked at the face of Jesus after He rose from the dead. That too is correct. The reason is, it is true is that he did not openly display his glory. See, it's like turning on a faucet. You could turn it on a little trickle, but you can turn it on to just really gushes forth. The reason is true that he, that he did not display openly his glory. There were some who saw the Lord even in the Old Testament, but he was not revealed in his glory. The Lord appeared to Abraham Joshua looked at the face of the Lord before invading Jericho, and the Lord said to him, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place you stand is holy. The same is true after the resurrection. The disciples ate fish, a fish breakfast with Jesus at the Sea of Tiberias. Two disciples walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, but their eyes were restrained. These all beheld his face because he did not openly display his glory. In contrast, John the Apostle saw the Lord in the Spirit and had a totally different encounter than breakfast with him by the sea, for John saw him in his glory. Revelation 1, I'm almost done. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voices of a trumpet. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with gold, a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest 
with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth, one a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Notice his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now, just if you ever listen to accounts of people that have died and gone to heaven, they usually see they encounter a bright light. Go figure, huh? How then could John look at him? The reason he was in the Spirit, he was in the Spirit, just as Isaiah was in the Spirit when he saw the throne and seraphim above it and the one who sat on it. Moses could not look upon God's face for Moses was in his natural physical body. The glory of the Lord is all that makes up God. This far surpasses our ability to comprehend and understand for even the ministry Mighty seraphim continue to cry, Holy, 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 in awe and overwhelming wonder. The four living creatures before His throne cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He deserves more glory than any living created being can give Him throughout all eternity. Amen to that. We must remember we serve the One who created the universe. He's from everlasting and will be to everlasting. There's no other like Him. There's no other like Him. In His wisdom, He purposely withholds the revelation of His glory to see if we will serve Him with love and reverence or turn our attention to that which receives glory on the earth yet pales in comparison to Him. Let me see here. Far I want to go. He says, in my travels to hundreds of churches, I've encountered a mindset that reduces the image and the glory of God to the image of mere corruptible man, and this mentality permeates the church. These are people who are quick to acknowledge Jesus as Savior, Healer, and Deliverer. With their mouths they acknowledge His Lordship, yet they reduce His glory to the level of corruptible man by their actions and hard attitudes. Say hard attitudes. They say, God is my friend. He understands my heart. It's true that God does understand our hearts even more thoroughly than we can understand ourselves, but usually this comment is given in justifications of actions that contradict His covenant. The fact is, they are in disobedience to God's Word. In the Scriptures, the only people I see God calling His friends, now listen, are those who tremble at His Word and presence and are quick to obey no matter the cost. Therefore, He does not receive the honor and reverence He deserves or else they would instantly obey Him. With their lips they honor Him, but their fear toward Him is taught by the commandments of man. They've filtered God's Word and commands through their own culturally influenced thinking. Talk about worship and the way it's been all these years. That's a good example. 
Their image of His glory is formed by their limited perceptions rather than by His true image as revealed through His living Word. This sets these men and women up to be quick to criticize authority as our society is so quick to do. We have television programming from sitcoms to talk shows that constantly rail against authority. Media mock leadership and exalt the devious and rebellious. But what if the leadership is actually corrupt? What does God say concerning this? He says, you shall not speak evil over the ruler of your people. Yet we assume God approves of criticizing corrupt leadership because we've reduced his response to the level of our society, processing him down to the image of corruptible man even in our churches. I've heard church leaders justify a divorce with God wants me to be happy. They actually believe their happiness takes precedence over their obedience to God's Word and the covenant they made with Him. Well, that's a statement. They actually believe their happiness takes precedence over their obedience to God's Word and the covenant they made with Him. One church leader told me, John, I've decided to divorce my mate because we haven't gotten along for the past 18 years. We don't watch movies together or do fun things together. You know I love Jesus. And if I'm not doing the right thing, He will show me. Why would God grant us a private audience with Him when we ignore what He has already declared? Somehow these individuals have distorted the words of Jesus to justify an exception for them. It's as if He said, when I said in my word that I hated divorce, that didn't apply to you. I want you to be happy and have a mate that will do fun things with you. Go ahead and get divorced. If it's wrong, you can repent later. That's the way our society thinks. Our unspoken words declare there's black and white for others, but it's gray for me. It's wrong for others because it doesn't affect me, but I'm exempt if obeying my life makes my life uncomfortable. (laughs) Well, this is done on a personal level. It will be done on a corporate level as well. So it's not surprising that in the church God's glory is reduced to corruptible man's degree from the personal lives of church leadership right down to the messages preached from the pulpit. What sort of message does this reduction of God's glory send to the congregation? It says God does not mean or do what He says. Then we wonder why sin runs rampant among us and the fear of God is lost. It's no wonder that sinners sit passively in our pews, unconvicted by our preaching. It's no wonder lukewarmness is prevalent in our Bible-based churches. It is no wonder that widows, orphans, incarcerated men and women, and the sick are neglected by believers. Often the messages we've preached over the past 20 years via pulpits and airways have given God the appearance of the sugar daddy in the sky whose desire is to give us whatever we want whenever we want it. This spawns short-lived obedience for selfish reasons. Parents who raise their children in this manner end up with spoiled children. Spoiled children lack a true respect for authority because when they do not get what they want, because... They do not get what they want when they want it. Their lack of reverence for authority sets them up to be easily offended with God. How can we see reverence restored when we have fallen so short of His glory? How can obedience prevail when disobedience and rebellion are considered normal? God will restore His holy fear to His people and turn them back to Him and they might, that they might give Him the true honor and glory He is so worthy of receiving. 
He has promised, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Before there is a manifestation of God's glory, there has to be divine order. Let that sink in. Before God manifests, we want that corporate anointing. We want His presence. We want the glory of God. (coughs) Then you need to get your life in order. Some of you need to get your attitudes in order. Renew your mind. Your thinking's out of order. Your words and speech are out of order. Your actions are out of order. Your attitudes are out of order. Your relationships are out of order. Your role in the church is out of order. You can blame the devil all you want for your life being out of order. (laughs) But it ain't the devil, honey. It's you. It's me. Because we don't have our poop in a group. Let that sink in today. Pretty heavy message. But do you want God to move? I want God to move. And I'm not just preaching to you. Listen, i got areas in my own life I'm dealing with. You think I'm exempt just because I'm a preacher? No, I'm a target. It's harder, sometimes harder for me than you. That's why you got a sheet back there. How to pray for your pastor. And if you don't do that, shame on you. Then don't gripe and complain because you don't like things the way they're done here. It's maybe because you haven't prayed for your pastor and your leadership. Oh, I just don't like Abe. I don't like to worship. Maybe it's you. Maybe your attitude sucks. He said, sucks. Yeah, I did. Because that's the only word that can convey. For constantly tearing each other down and not building each other up, you're not going to have a manifestation of God's glory. That's God's way of saying, so be it. Oh, God bless you for letting me share to you today. Let's stand to our feet. Pastor Brad, come up here and give a salvation call, would you? Exhort the people, because this is what's coming right now. This is what's coming. Yeah, God's moving. God's coming. And we don't want to miss out on that. And God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. And many of you come to church here, you know that. Many of you that are going to church here are participating in that. But God has a plan for every single one of us. A part to play, a role to fill. And it's not doom and gloom. It's not death and despair. That's not God's will for your life. His will is very clear in the Word. And that will is that we all 
come to the saving knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. We've all screwed up. There ain't a person in this room that hasn't screwed up, maybe even most of us this morning, right? But we have forgiveness. But if we don't utilize that forgiveness, it's the same thing that pastor's talking about. There's order on how this works, and God made a way for this to work. We've all screwed up. We all fall short of the glory of God. But that's why he sent Jesus. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross, paid the price for our sins, raised him from the dead, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father right here, right now. And then when we accept what he has done, we ask him to forgive us, we receive that from him. We also are seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. And all of these things, the darkness, the despair, the principalities, the powers, are then placed under our feet in proper order where they belong, and we can walk in that. But we cannot walk in that if we don't do it in order and receive what Jesus has done for that. So I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never confessed with your mouth that he is Lord and believed in your heart that he has died on the cross and is raised from the dead and is in heaven now, then you're not saved. You can go to church. You can be a good person. You can do what you think is right, but that doesn't get you to heaven. A church membership doesn't get you to heaven. Being a good person doesn't get you to heaven one way and one way only, and that's Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. All you have to do is ask him to come into your heart. You, you accept what he has done. You ask for forgiveness for what we have done, and he will save you. All those that call upon the Lord shall be saved. So with every eye closed and heads bowed, I want to give you that opportunity today to receive that salvation. If you're here today, we're all going to pray a prayer together. We're all going to pray because consecration is so good. It doesn't matter. So we're all going to pray it together. So I'm not going to isolate you. But afterwards, if this is you, I want you to come find me. I'll give you a book that helps explain exactly what happened. But if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to, you to acknowledge him by just slipping your hand up, and then we'll put it back down. So if that's you today, just raise your hand briefly, and you can put your hand back down after you raise your hand. Okay. I don't see any hands today, but we're going to pray anyway. A prayer of consecration. So you can open your eyes and... you. You can gawk at me if you want, but let's, let's pray because we heard a good word today and we can walk out of here offended, upset, and chewed up on and spit out and we can walk out that door and we can let the devil run rampant in our minds and say, see, this is why, because you're a failure. You're screwing this up. No, that's not what God wants either. But rather, let's pursue him and let's consecrate and let's go after him and give our hearts just like the day we did when we got born again and we committed to him. Let's do that today. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we ask you to forgive us for those times where we've fallen short, we've had the wrong attitude, and we've had the wrong thinking. Holy Spirit, come and move in our hearts today, today. change our thinking, 
change our attitudes and change our will and get us in order with God's divine will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Well, if you have questions about salvation and what we talked about and you're here today, I'm going to hang out. I'll be in back there. You can come talk to me. But, but thank, you for the, thank you for the good word, Pastor. And thank you, Father. Yeah,